Welcome to our episode two of season two of BC's Path to Universal Child Care podcast. As we always do, we start our episodes with a land acknowledgement. We are honored and ever grateful to live and work on the unceded lands of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We thank them for having cared for these lands and waters since time out of mind. We would like to recognize that this podcast is recorded on traditional unceded lands and honors indigenous ways of knowing that have nurtured the children and peoples of this land from time immemorial. Since we started the series last September, there have been many actions completed by the province of BC that support their commitment to universal childcare. Some of these changes include that now childcare is represented and overseen by the new Ministry of Education and Childcare. There is an expansion of 10 a day childcare sites across the province and a promise to reduce childcare fees to $20 for many programs by the end of this year, 2022. That's right. And today we're excited to revisit the government's promises and commitments with Adrian Montani, the executive director of First Call Child and Youth Advocacy Society. Adrian has lived, worked, and been a social justice activist in Vancouver since 1976. She joined First Call in 2000. Prior to working with First Call, she served as a child and youth advocate advocate for the city of Vancouver, and as a chairperson of the Vancouver School Board for three of her six years as an elected school trustee, and as an executive director of nonprofits in the immigrant services and child mentoring fields. Thanks, Nora. And just a little bit about um, First Call's work. Um, First Call is guided by four keys of success for children and youth, and these areas are a strong commitment to early childhood development, a support in transitions from childhood to youth and adulthood, an increased economic um, equality and safe and caring communities. And these are achieved through public education, community mobilization and public policy advocacy. Thanks, Crystal. And of course, our introductions are not complete without introducing our wonderful interviewer and friend, Gita Chat. We are thrilled to work with Gita on this project for a second year. Welcome, Gita. And thank you very much. And we extend a very warm welcome now to Adrian Montani, uh, whom I consider a lifelong friend, colleague, and activist. So we're delighted that you're joining us today, Adrian, to discuss the progress of the government's commitments and promises to making quality childcare universally accessible and affordable to all families in British Columbia. So our first question to you, can you please tell us a little bit more about First Call's work around the four keys to success for children and youth that Crystal just uh, identified and the relationship to childcare advocacy? Well, yes, thank you for the question, Gita, and thank you for having me here today. Um, so, yeah, First Call's approach to supporting children's rights places a strong emphasis on what we know from research about child development and prevention. Those are the, the importance of prevention. Those are sort of founding principles for us. 
So the four keys to success that uh, Crystal read out guide our work from the importance of what happens in early childhood. That's really, we know, you know lots of research around that. It's incredibly important what happens in early childhood through the vulnerabilities of transitions or, and the challenges of transitions from childhood to adolescence and adolescence into adulthood. So those are times we want to pay attention to. And then that income inequality one, um, reducing income inequality, uh, we know the profound from research, the profound effects that poverty, negative effects that poverty uh, has if you're growing up in, in deep poverty, it can on child development and on family wellness. Um, and so we ground our advocacy in public policies that will reduce poverty. Uh, and we know the availability of affordable, quality, accessible um, childcare is a powerful poverty reduction initiative or measure, especially for children of families with young children. So, so that's where it connects to some of theirs. The, the fourth key around this um, uh, safe and caring communities, we work on everything from uh, child labor standards, uh, safety and, and reducing child injuries for, for young people who work and a whole range of things. But around childcare, that the link has often been to childcare because it's both good uh, to support families and quality early learning and care is important for children, as well as for family economies, they need to be able to work and therefore childcare is one of those poverty reduction measures that's, that's key in a healthy society. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Thanks so much for uh, kind of interweaving all those key elements, uh, Adrian, and your focus on the importance of research, prevention, and public policy. And I'll, you just, know. I'll just add one more thing, if that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, that, that we worked, uh, so over the years, we, we host something called the Early Childhood Roundtable, and it meets about five times a year. So we've worked actively, first call uh, as a whole, uh, as a coalition and now a society with for decades with childcare advocates through that ECD roundtable to push for the creation of a high quality, public, accessible, affordable childcare system that uh, families need. And so support for the 10 a day childcare plan has been front and center in that work through that table. So I right. add that. Yeah, thanks for noting the Early Childhood Roundtable, which, as you say, has been in place for decades in the early days in, por in person and now uh, via Zoom that provides both a really informational as well as supportive networking of people in the early childhood field and profession. Thank you. Thank you. So we'll go on to our second question. Please, Adrian, what can you say are the big wins for families and children in regard to what the province has managed to accomplish to date for child care? Well, I actually think there's quite a few. So um, I think that I'll start with, uh, because one of the major barriers or things we know about child care is it's been really, really expensive for families to get licensed child care. And so I think the child care fee reduction initiative that government put in place is a big win. It's not perfect, <laughs> um, but for those families who are, are able to get ch their children into licensed child care, because it only affects those in licensed child care, who have benefited from the lower fees, some saving up to initially $350 a month, it's been a huge support. Mm -hmm. 
really important. And now we have the, the announcement of the additional uh, fee reductions uh, to take place as of December 1st. So another uh, up to $550 more in, in fee reduction, uh, thanks to the federal provincial childcare agreement and, and that. So I think that's been huge. Um, I think we, for, for many families, for those families who've benefited from it, that's been just huge. And then also the affordable childcare benefit. So that's the what we've always traditionally kind of called childcare subsidy, um, has made licensed childcare again, much more affordable for many, many families. Again, those with their kids in licensed care, particularly for lower income families who are able to secure those, those spots. So that's been huge too, because those who are, you know, make less than 45,000 or so are, are maybe paying nothing or their, their subsidy will cover their full cost. Mm -hmm. That that's again that's huge for those families that that benefit. It's very huge, and I think government has heard childcare advocates' concerns about using childcare subsidy, parent subsidy, rather than supporting operating costs. Um, if childcare operators are allowed be, to raise fees so much that they wipe out the parent savings, so that's been one of the concerns around making the one of the biggest investments into parent subsidy. Um, so they've, they've responded a bit to that with efforts to cap allowable fees for child care providers who are in the affordable child care or the child care fee reduction programs. So this is a work in progress, I'd say. Uh, and we would like to see the greater public investment shift to bring fees down and other aspects of system building rather than the subsidy. So just to say it's a work in progress. But again, that that uh, uh, affordable, you know, the, the subsidies still matter a lot to families and have made a difference. The the 10 a day uh, pilot sites that have come into place in the last while with the federal provincial agreement on childcare, I think have been like winning the lottery for many families. Uh, you know, they've just been lucky enough to be in one and, and wow, they, they pay $10 a day, um, which is a great example of what we're aiming for. So that the people experience that. I think that's really, and I think it's really important therefore that we keep expanding those sites with the goal of equitable access to them for all families with young children. So again, a work in progress. I know it's a big ship to turn around, but appreciate that those are starting. And I think another win is government's accelerated investments in expanding the number of childcare spaces. This is this is good to see this on the in the budgets and on the, you know, again, sometimes not as much as we'd like, but we, but we see that happening. Uh, I think they have listened and shifted these public capital investments to school sites and uh, public and nonprofit operators um, at, in response to advocacy from the childcare community, along with funding to help unlicensed operators join the, uh, the licensed. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. that, that's important and therefore eligible um, for the affordability measures for parents. Because if you have your children in unlicensed childcare, none of those earlier things, the wins help you much. So now if, if you can, we can get more of the unlicensed sector into the licensed sector, that, make, that makes a difference. So I think those are all wins. And I guess um, one more, uh, this is a win, but again, still a work in progress, given how many more spaces are needed. So that's, that's an issue because we do know there are spaces that have been funded, but sit empty because of the issue of um, the difficulty childcare operators are experiencing with recruiting and retaining staff. Right. And that kind of would lead us to the next question. However, uh, I'm just taking notes as, as you share uh, the wins about the fee reduction and that to be expanded uh, starting next month. 
um, caps on allowable fees that can be charged, uh, still a work in progress. And uh, the winning the lottery of those who were fortunate to be in the pilot 10 a day. But now, of course, we need to expand that as well as the number of spaces. So back to your earlier comment, uh, Adrian, about the importance of system building in terms of public policy. Thank you, thank you. And that leads us to the next question. The province has recognized the importance of tackling the barriers to recruiting and retaining early childhood educators as key to system building with efforts to increase educator salaries and make post-secondary education more accessible. Accessible. Have you seen an impact or improvements for educators as yet in these areas? Well, I think I'm not a I'm not a childcare operator, so I'm not. Well, I, I, some some may be better in a position to answer that question, but I'd say it's very encouraging that this issue is getting more recognition. I mean, it's just starting to become. Under, you know that this this needs the focus. This is a key piece of the puzzle in the system building that needs uh, focus. So, as advocates have been pointing out for years, early childhood educators have traditionally been underpaid and undervalued. Uh, women's work, all those things. Um, so, government's first steps to raise wages with the wage enhancement program through their recruitment and retention strategy, with a cumulative four dollar, I think, by the, now um, wage enhancement program, was a welcome move. You know, it was a, a little. It was uh -huh. a, but now we need that next step of the wage grid, the provincial wage grid um, for early childhood educators that recognizes their professional status and the need for benefits uh, as part of their remuneration. So really making these jobs that are attractive and affordable <laughs> for people to, to engage in. Um, until that's in place, especially during a period of inflation right now with the cost of rent, and food and everything else going up, it will be hard, I think, still to attract people to jobs that don't pay enough if they don't cover the cost of living. So I think that's this is a crucial piece that we really want government to pay attention to. Um, the investment, as you mentioned, Gita, of in um, in removing barriers to getting into the field, uh, obtaining ECE training or, or an education, has also, I would say, been significant on behalf of government. They've they've opened up a lot more post secondary spaces in ECE programs. Online courses, I believe, are have expanded, or online access to online courses for people in rural and remote areas and stuff, and offering bursaries. Of course, we know there's been lots of those to offset tuition costs and paid practicums and all those different ways to to reduce the financial barriers for people who want this career and want to progress in it. So as long as we follow through. Our government helps follow through on that promise of decent wages. I hope all those people who we know love working with young children <laughs> will start to see this as a viable career path where you know, they wanted to do it. Mm. Just, I can't stay in this field or I, you know, I can't right. take the training. So our goal, I think, is always to make sure that we're improving the quality of early care and learning. And so the investments in pre-service and in-service professional development are really crucial to this goal. And it's good to see government yeah. investing in that. Yeah. What a, a great kind of uh, synopsis and summary of what has happened so far in this regard and what needs to happen. The challenge absolutely remains um, about following through and following up on not only the 
already existing wage enhancement, but the wage grid with attending benefits, as you say, more post-secondary spaces, online spaces, uh, opportunities for bursaries, which have helped so many students um, that I'm aware of. And I'm thinking, Adrian, that um, maybe we could replace soon the RR that stands for recruitment and retention with respect and recognition. We could have kind of a new look at uh, those two capital R letters. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll move then to our final question and any thoughts from you, which is, with the responsibility of childcare now in the new Ministry of Education and childcare, how do you think this will be an improvement of service and support for families and children, and maybe we should add early childhood professionals themselves? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think, of course, one of the first things that we argued for years is that this ministry, the now Ministry of Education and Childcare, but um, has the ability to work with school districts to plan for capital expansion. Like the Ministry for Children and Family Development just never had that mandate, that capacity. They don't have a capital building. Uh, they don't do capital building and investment in new facilities in the way that the Ministry of Education is set up to do when they build schools, for instance, or, or re revamp them. So that's important, um, I think, to, because I think it will, it should help plan for expansion of childcare spaces on school sites, but not only. Uh, but so new builds um, using existing space, renovating when schools are, are depending on how the school student population shifts. Uh -huh. Lots of, uh, so, but it's public infrastructure. That's really important. It's public infrastructure investment. And therefore these are publicly owned facilities and therefore not likely to evaporate or disappear when an entrepreneur or a private operator decides they want to change their career and move on or something. So I think it's really important that that opens up this. That's one of the, the benefits I think. Um, I also think um, the importance uh, it, it I, I hope we focus also on the importance of expanding school-age childcare. Because I've heard from many parents who uh, say, you know, it's great to focus on the early years and, you know, I can get childcare subsidy or I can get a spot. And then I, I become a working parent uh, with a school-age child and finding after-school care, before-school care that works with how, where I have to go to work and how I get my kids is really a challenge. Um, and so uh, that's a scramble for, for a lot of families. And I was... Uh -huh reminded of that by a parent, a single parent recently. Um, so I wanted to make sure to say, so so parents can continue to work because sometimes they can't if they can't find before and after school care or they have to go to part-time or that kind of thing. There's also um, the learning, I think, uh, that from the pilots that I'm aware of, of the seamless day. So uh, integrating early childhood educators into the school system, uh, both providing before and after school care on a school site. So that's the seamless thing for the child and the family to be in the same physical location for childcare in the morning and school during the day and, and childcare after school. But also the, the powerful, I hope, and from what I've read, some of them were uh, relationships and learning of pairing early childhood educators with primary school teachers. So I, I think... Um, there, you know, so that they work together during the school day and overlap a bit, that kind of thing. So I, I think, I think there's there's a lot of scope for the expertise of early childhood developers. Uh, sorry, early childhood um, 
educators in young children's development. So there's the experts in early childhood development that not every primary school teacher has. <laughs> not, not mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, the, the, the real strong focus and understanding of, of programming and support for young children and young children's learning has real potential in that cooperative work, working with kindergarten teachers, grade one teachers, perhaps um, in, in uh, yeah, it, that would affect perhaps the, 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 the school curriculum the school day and even school policy it has great potential. Mm. Yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah. And I've only I'm I'm only aware of about two pilots. I don't know if you know of other ones, but those are the ones. And I, I think there's great potential there for, yeah, really refocusing those early years, those young children's what their early experience in the public school system. Right. Love your use there of the word potential, Adrian, because, you know, as you say, it's early days and yet the potential for working more closely with school districts for expanding childcare settings in school system for capital funds um, and for Uh, the seamless day possibilities and potential, and the capacity for early childhood educators to work alongside primary kindergarten through primary school teachers and offer our and their expertise and input uh, as the system grows. So we thank you so very much for highlighting um, the growth and development thus far of our universal accessible affordable childcare and as well integrating all of this into the incredible provincial and at times national work of first call when i say national i mean things like you know poverty report cards etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, national childcare action day coming up and down the road uh, before we say a goodbye, Adrian, I wanted just to highlight uh, and tribute you for having been awarded the Janusz Korshak Award for Child Advocacy just last month, where I was fortunate to attend the very moving session on Zoom, and where in person later in November, you will be awarded the Rosemary Brown Foundation pardon me, <clears throat> award, and that will be in person at the WASP Center connected uh, with SFU, highlighting the values that you represent with First Call that were so critical to the incredible children's rights and human rights that Rosemary Brown led. So we honor you, we tribute you, we thank you, and now back to Crystal and Nora. And congratulations, Adrian, on all your accomplishments. And I just want to say thank you. Excuse me. Thank you for highlighting the school age care and the seamless day. I think it's so important. And also the um, importance of the relationships between all of the educators that um, affect and impact a child on a single day. Um, and after all, that is the, the goal um, that we're all working towards is supporting the child to um, have the best possible um, outcomes and um, we really appreciate this interview and it will help us focus on what needs to be done to make quality childcare affordable and accessible for all children. Thank you very much.
appreciate yes it. thank you adrian and congratulations again and also thank you so much to all our listeners for joining us today for your interest and support in our podcast thank you and remember you can get bc's path to universal childcare podcast whenever you get your podcasts and remember to join our mailing list at uh, wccrc.ca forward slash enews uh, sign up to get all our episodes and more straight to your inbox and if you have any questions or suggestions of guests uh, please email us those ideas at ptucc at wstcoast.org. That's ptucc at wstcoast.org. Send us your emails with your ideas. And until our next episode in December, this is BC's Path to Universal Childcare podcast signing off.